First Kings chapter 10 this evening. May we make these lessons count. How would you like to be a Christian in Ukraine or Russia right now? You'd have to make all your Bible knowledge count any chance you got if you could survive. The Deceitfulness of Riches. <clears throat> That's the title of this evening's consideration. When in Israel, for me... King Saul didn't really come to mind much. The monument for King Saul in Israel is Mount Gilboa, where he died. And you, it sits out like a sore thumb. And that's the end of your, hey, that's where Saul died. But David, on the other hand, of course, Jerusalem. You, you don't go to Jerusalem without David being one of the leading thoughts in your mind. There is En Gedi and Elah Valley, the, the must-see. You know, if you're planning out, well, if I go to Jerusalem, uh, Israel, I want to see En Gedi, and I want to go to um, the Elah Valley where he slew Goliath. And it's exciting. For Hezekiah, it's his tunnel. That was cool, literally. The water was cold. And uh, it uh, worth going through. But Solomon, what's in Israel? What monument remains for Solomon? Well, the ruins of some stables uh, is what I remember. Uh, actually kind of boring. Of all that impressed the Queen of Sheba, nothing's left. And uh, the deceitfulness of riches. It, uh, it's very important that we have the perspective of Jesus Christ as much as we can. Because when, when we move away from that, trouble's not far away. 1 Corinthians 9, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Paul is saying, remember the prize. Keep your... Eye on the prize, stay focused on the objective. And we all say, well done, good and faithful service. And we all want to hear that. And there's so many things that are necessary. It's not one thing that helps us serve Christ. There's a bunch of things. There are a bunch of things that get in the way. And Paul and Peter and Christ are telling us to love one another because you're going to need it. It's one of the big ones, of course, and faith and hope, things like that are not just uh, extras. They are a large part of being effective and serving. I think a lot of Christians, they, they don't get how important serving the Lord in his house is. Uh, again, I've said this before, if you think you just, you know, if your motive is to do the church a favor, your motor, motive is wrong. The motive for serving is Jesus Christ. It's his house, his people, his objective. And we, we like to say, I'm serving the Lord. And you cannot serve the Lord. I don't know how you can serve the Lord without taking a lot of hits, a lot of emotional hits. Well, anyway, verse 1, chapter 10, 1 Kings. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard... Of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahweh, she came to test him with hard questions. <laughs> Where did I leave my earrings? That would have been a difficult one. I don't. <laughs> Some suppose that she was from Ethiopia. I don't think so. 
Jesus called her the queen of the south. In Luke chapter 11, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. And we can't lose that perspective the greater than Solomon is Christ is the subject of every Bible study we ever have. As interesting as it may be, as Christ uses these characters, he is the central figure all the time, as it is with prayer. Every prayer is focused on Jesus Christ. That's why we applaud. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Well, we learned that from him. Modern historians, they identify Sheba... She was the queen of Sheba with the South Arabian uh, kingdom of Sheba, present-day Yemen. So she had come a long way to get to Jerusalem. She had heard stories about Solomon and his kingdom. She came to see for herself. She doubted it. Verse 7 says, you know, I didn't, she tells, I didn't believe any of this stuff until I saw it. But she was willing to take that long trek camels and carts and things like that, almost over a thousand miles, and she was not disappointed. Now, there were vital trade routes that went through Yemen and spread throughout that part of the world, and they profited from this. It, it, it made them a commercial power. So she had money. She wasn't poor. She had a wealthy kingdom. And that lends to the story because she hasn't seen anything like what she's about to see. Uh, Solomon surrounded his environment with more gold than her kingdom had. Uh, and it just blew her away, literally. She is, well, Sheba, not her, but the place that she was queen of, <clears throat> is associated with gold and spices. And we get that from the prophets, from Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, three of the major prophets, three of the uh, four major prophets, Daniel being the other one. There are five major prophet books, if you count Lamentations, which Jeremiah authored. Uh, her visit highlights the secular and the intellectual influence of King Solomon. Now, it's going, it's, it says here in verse 1 that she, she was coming with interest in the name of the Lord. She, she concerning the name of the Lord. But as the story goes, the Lord doesn't seem to be as pronounced as everything that was bedazzling her. Now, of course, the Lord is the cause of these things. And it is that perspective that Solomon lost. Uh, we do well to take heed to these lessons because they're all over the place. He had become the celebrity king. He'd given lectures, word traveled, you've got to hear this guy. And, and kings and queens would come, and, and, and there, there he was. We'll get that said right out in verse 24. But was God truly glorified by all this wealth? I mean, what about you? Maybe, maybe you don't have a, a lot of things. Is God still glorified through you? Or maybe you do have a lot of stuff. Is, is God glorified? Through you, it just comes down, to, it's relative to what you have. Uh, let's go back to serving for a minute. I mentioned you're going to get beat up if you serve. Uh, just being in a church, 
Just if if she came and said, you know what, I like this place so much, I'm staying here. Well, how much before uh, the personality clashes would have surfaced? Because she's surrounded by sinners, as you are, as I am. Uh, what do you do when you start getting beat up? You can't have your way. Well, many people have a tantrum of some sort to express themselves. We see this on the internet, internet all the time. People just got to, you know, tell you what they think and then go off into the... Uh, cyber world somewhere, and you never hear from them again. Uh, serving's not like that. You've got to show up again, or, or you, you walk away. And I, I, believe, I believe the angels would like to tell some people who leave good churches, get back in there. Stop making it so easy for Satan. But I think they have to leave it with the free will and the movement of the Spirit in the life of the individual. We all need to hear this, including me. I, I don't think I've ever preached down to anybody as a Christian, and I don't plan to start now. If I point out something that I've observed, it's something that I've observed and I'm sharing it with you. And you have every right to agree or not to agree. It'd be crazy not to agree. Oh, did, did you hear that? Is this thing on? <laughs> Concerning the name of Yahweh, she came to test him with hard questions. Again, initially doubting the fame. Why isn't... Hebrew history taught wherever Egyptian history is taught, or Grecian history, or Roman history. I mean, their civilization rivaled their, their kingdoms. They had a lot to do. It's not anti-Semitic. It's anti-God. That's what's happening. Oh, you can say, well, they're against the Jews. Yeah, but why? Because Satan's pulling strings. They're under the influence of hell. Hell has a huge say-so in the mind of a natural person, whether they like it or not, whether they know it or not. you got to serve somebody, and it's either going to be the Lord or it's going to be the devil. The coming of Sheba, this queen, to see the glory of Israel, proves, proves that Israel's light could, could shine far and it could attract people. You would think somebody would say, well, let me get this right. This queen came over a thousand miles. I don't care if she came 50 miles. And she comes all this distance to see what Yahweh has done. Well, let's start preaching Yahweh to these people. Uh, churches, I mean, what if a church has a great event, invites all the unbelievers, but Christ is not preached? And the people walk away, boy, that was some dinner. Mm -mm -mm. Who catered that thing? Where's Christ come into the picture? Where's Christ exalted? I think it is about perspective. I think the deceitfulness of riches, as Christ said, is something to beware of all the time. Um, Isaiah chapter 60. Now, Isaiah writes long after, so some 200 years at least after Solomon. And he, he talks about Messiah attracting the Gentiles. Mostly it's millennial, but it's something that goes back even to, you know, Eve, where the, 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 the seed of the woman, the Messiah, and then uh, Abraham, that all the nations, the people will be blessed through the seed of Abraham as it, as it progresses. Uh, that means the Gentiles. And we see that there are proselytes. There are these Gentile converts to Judaism. We'll meet them in the book of Acts, and they... You know, they're in this search for a religion that is not hollow. 
They want real religion. There is a such thing. There's false and there's true. And uh, these Gentiles, they, they don't want the idolatry, and so they're attracted to Judaism. But they, they only come but so far, many of them. They don't go all the way in. And then Christianity comes along, and they, they meet Christ, and, and many of them become uh, Christians, part of the, the first church. But Isaiah says, the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. I think whenever you invite somebody to church in this country, it's a mistake to just say many times, hey, why don't you come to church? You've got to prep them. Hey, why don't you come to church? The pastor's going to beat you up from the pulpit like you've never been beat up before. Uh, and if, they go, if they're already Christians, you know, you can say, look, don't come here expecting this place to be like the other place. Just come like a, like a new wineskin. Or you can just make a mess out of everything. Prep them. Um, it's, uh, to me, the sensible thing to do. Uh, I would, I remember sharing Christ in the workplace and someone, I was telling them about, I don't know, Job and Satan, and they said, you can talk about Satan in your church? So, well, you know, you can't? Anyway, uh, it's just the work we, we, we prep work. Take nothing for granted. It's, it's a lot of, Christianity should leave you tired. Uh, imagine if, you know, I was just, you know, out hanging out before I came up into the pulpit, treated it like a gig. I know the material. I can just wing it. Well, the only, my motivation for not winging it is I have to answer to God for my behavior. Now, there are some areas I mess up in. I say, Lord, I just, I, I mercy. And there are other areas. He said, listen, this is not about mercy. This is about diligence. And, and you need to, to be ready and, and do these things, because where does that end? Well, verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels and, that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. I'd like to look, see the look on his face when she was doing that. Oh, that's funny, is it not? Come on. All right, maybe it's not. Anyway, yeah, it's really not that good. I can do better. Anyway, she comes with this retinue, this entourage, advisors, attendants, soldiers, laborers, uh, doctors, cooks, this staff, uh, all these donkeys and animal whisperers and things like that. And she doesn't show up empty-handed, uh, and nor empty-headed either. She's, she's got things she, she wants to discuss with Solomon. She heard that he's so smart. Well, she's going to um, question him about these things. And so she confides in Solomon, ruler to ruler. You can bet there was some of that, but there's also person to person, human to human. We don't know if she ever married. History doesn't tell us anything about her outside of the, the Bible, really. Everybody else got hearsay about the Queen of Sheba, but we don't know if she's married, had kids. We know nothing about her. Um, anyway, of course, she sees this kingdom. She's going to want some of this success, know, know how to, you know, to, to get it. And he didn't yet publish a book on it. Ecclesiastes wouldn't have helped her. It wouldn't have, wasn't printed yet. <clears throat> anyway... Verse 3, so Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Well, I don't think she asked parochial questions. I think he was just the wisdom that God had given him. And of course, the, 
had to be one. <clears throat> of course, with a gift from God, it is just that. It is irrevocable. It is your gift. But there's no guarantee you're going to do the right thing with it. Judas blew it, and others have too. Solomon's going to mess it up. Among men, Solomon was truly the smartest guy. He became the smart, dumb guy, which is, you know, a big difference between being an A student only. You can get A's, but you just can't, you don't have the wit, the ability to apply. We have, again, we've got another administration run by A students who really are, are, are pretty dumb and, and, and so deceitful and so icky that it's just who they are now. This is common. On the other hand, you can get A students who are sharp. I mean, you go across a, a suspension bridge, you're really happy that the engineers had put that bridge up, knew mathematics, and were sharp cookies. And uh, Yeah, so what do you do with what you have? Oh, that's what life is. When we stand before God as Christians, it's what did you do with what you have? You went to one of the greatest Bible teaching churches ever. What did you do with it? It's not funny. <laughs> okay, it is. Anyway, Solomon turned on his royal billionaire charm with the Queen of Sheba, no question. You know, the dynamics of a man and woman. Verse 4, when the Queen of Sheba <clears throat> had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, verse 5, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of Yahweh, there was no more spirit left in her. Well, she saw that it was exceptional. And she's looking for something like, oh, we've got that in Yemen. Oh, we do it better. She <laughs> just the other way. So we don't have that. We don't do it better. This is what the church should be to, to someone that comes through the doors. It's like, man, I'm impressed with the spirit of God being here. We don't have to have the, I mean, you would, wouldn't you love colonnades? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? You could hide from people, jump out, boo. Uh, but, the, you know, the Spirit of God, that, that one of the highest compliments that I've ever been given as a pastor is by someone who got saved here on a Christmas Eve service and said to me after, I, don't, I didn't hear a word you said. All I did was feel the Spirit of God here. What is that? But isn't that a glorious thing, right? That's what we're here for. We're not here to impress people. We're here to impress upon them the Christ. And he did it and didn't need me to do it at that time. Come on. Come on. Work with me. Well, she knew the value of a palatial setting. She didn't come in and say, well, you know, she knew what things cost and their value. She knew that, I can't afford this. Look at this thing. And, and, you know, she was an educated consumer. She's going to go on a shopping spree before this is all over. Her kingdom, as I mentioned, could not produce the tonnage of gold that was surrounding her to be used like it was being used. I mean, we get to the part where silver was almost, you know, was that silver? I don't want that. Uh, it's just... Uh, uh, an amazing kingdom this was that she was where she was otherwise she would not have been swept away she lived it 
the ambiance, the fragrances, the mood, the ambiance, the, the abundance, the exotic. You couldn't see things that she was looking at. And just think, this is nothing compared to heaven. It's, it's, the comparison would be an anthill to a, to a mountain. But it was surreal, like a dream for her. She was mesmerized by the reality of what she was experiencing. So that's why the historian says there was no more spirit in her. Literally leaving her breathless. Because the Hebrew word there for spirit is the same word translated breath. It took her breath away. The exact equivalent. Now, I, I can tell you, Christians have achieved this effect in witnessing Christ. You leave a person smitten, convicted of sin. No criticisms, anything. Just, just you've taken their breath away and they want salvation. Peter did, Peter did this when they cried out. Man, what should we do to be saved? What do we do? He took their breath away. I see the parallels and I like them too. They're not by accident at all. Nothing to criticize. Nothing was better than what she was experiencing. I'm sure there was a note of sadness when she had to leave. You know, no place like home still. Sadly, far from being a grand witness to God, he was more a grand witness to Solomon. Verse 6, Then she said to the king, It was true, a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Verse 7, However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. So she says, I heard, but I saw. And that's, you know, her senses were engaged. This time, it was true. I and mean, sometimes, you know, people fluff it up. Well, you got to go to this restaurant. You go there. I'm not going back to that place again. Well, they just served me a bowl of salt. I couldn't stop drinking water. Anyway, I mean, not really, but really. Anyhow, I wonder, well, I can imagine what the first thing she saw was the temple as she's approaching Jerusalem. Because, you know, that, that foyer was just like 20 stories up in the air. And uh, no doubt the fragrances from the, the sacrifices, the palace, the city itself. These, these, this was rushing upon her in waves, her emotions. She was, you know, looking out the window of her little, whatever she was, palaquine or whatever she was riding on. And, uh, and so she says, indeed, the half was not told me. She's shock and awe. But it's only stuff. It's still only stuff. And what remains? Nothing. Of what she's, those stables that I mentioned that are in Jerusalem, she didn't go see those. Those are up in the north of Megiddo. Everything she saw is gone now. Our king and his heaven will dwarf all of this. Matthew 12, Jesus said, The queen of the south, I'm reading it from Matthew this time, Luke was the first time, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. And as you know, Christ is notorious for understatement. You know, he just said, I'm, I'm greater than Solomon. Yeah, as the difference is from, you can't even find a scale to measure it. Solomon is a created being. Jesus Christ is self-created, self-existent, and eternal past and future. You go back as far as you can go to eternity past, and he is there. Verse 8, she says, 
Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants, who stand continually before you to hear your wisdom. So like a fairy tale again to her. Uh, her servants, evidently, you know, remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah said, if I go in front of the king and my face is down, he can kill me for this. The king's just like, look, I'm not, I'm the king, and I'm not putting up with this. <laughs> you know people in the workplace? Like pushing them up a hill. And they just come in and hell. there's a little dark cloud that comes before they get there. And it's just, they bring everyone down. And they get like a sick day or something. It's like, boy, I had a good time at work today. I wonder why. Oh. And you realize who wasn't there. You just, man, I hope that's never me. And uh, I hope that's, you know, that's not the Christian, to, to be that sourpuss. Okay, you hate you. I worked with a guy, all he did all day long. I want to win lotto. I want to win. Let's settle that. <laughs> all day long. Of course, we all want to win lotto, shivering out here in the cold, working like coolies. <laughs> so, anyway. Oh, so, any happy are Now, it's not a little statement, is it? If you've ever been in a place where they aren't happy, that becomes a big statement. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants. They're like, you know, hi-ho, hi-ho. They're just, <laughs> just this little line of workers. Uh, when, uh, when I worked in the steel, we'd go to work that way sometimes. We'd sing the song, hi-ho, and it'd be a single file heading toward the elevator. I can still remember one guy saying, you know, mothers and, women are the, uh, mothers and wives ought to run these jobs. Yeah, because we'd all stay nice and cozy in the shanty. Nobody, you boys get away from that. It hurts you. <laughs> Verse 9. Blessed be Yahweh your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because Yahweh has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Well, you know she's blown away. She's talking like this. She's like a canary. <laughs> she's just, Yahweh's done this and Yahweh's done that. She's just in it. And then the historian is capturing, I mean, these are court records. These are everything they dialogue with until they, you know, I'm sure they had time removed from the court. But <clears throat> these are court records that, that have been preserved. Um, she is not affirming Yahweh as her God. Uh, well, there's a possibility, a good possibility. She is not doing that, although I think she is. And the reason why it's not just an easy thing is because those ancient people believed in territorial deities. If, you know, your God was the God of the mountains, but my God is the God of the valley. And we come across that. First Kings chapter 20. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says Yahweh, because the Syrians have said, Yahweh is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am Yahweh of everything. And, of course, that comes later. It's not at this point in history, but that's how they thought. Each nation had their God or gods. And when you left your land, the power of your God was diminished. It had, if it was weaker than the other guy's God, which is what, is being said there in 1 Kings 20, verse 28. Same thing with King Hiram. 1 Kings 5, we went over this, so it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be Yahweh this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. So he's saying Yahweh, you know, has done this, acknowledging the God of, of Israel. And 
you will find it in other kings too. And you say to yourself, well, are these guys genuine? Is this just, you know, uh, statesmanship? Are they being polite? Or is it genuine? So I'm not committed entirely that in every case it was false. We have no way of knowing. We'll find out in heaven. You go to heaven and say, Hiram, are you here? He hearkened unto him. Hark, hark, hearkened he. And, and <laughs> if he doesn't hark back, then, <laughs> then I don't have a hark attack and just keep going on and on. Yeah, that was pushing it. All right, well, anyway, Naaman, remember Naaman, he took soil from Israel. He says, listen, I don't want to even stand on that stuff anymore. I'm truly converted. So uh, he takes soil back with him. He gets permission from Elijah. He, says to permit, he also says, look, when I go into the king's house, I don't believe that stuff. But if I don't go in there, they're going to kill me. Can I go in there? But I don't believe, okay? And Elijah says, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. So he wasn't all hung up. You've got to love those prophets. Man, it is serious business. Anyway, um, uh, that's, that's my take on, on this. I wouldn't, you know, don't want an emotional response to, you know, emotional response is what you give when someone buys you something you like and gives it to you with no strings attached. And uh, that's it. You go, oh, I love it. I love it. It's crazy. But most of the other things in life, you've got to check those emotions because they just get in the way. Oh, look at that. Gas prices are down. <laughs> now look what happens. All right. I'm, I'm so glad I, I kept my holes back from the 70s. <laughs> Once you've tasted gasoline, <laughs> you'll never forget it. I'm still washing it out of my mouth. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that wasn't prices. That was just a shortage. It was, long, it was horrible. It was just like, hell must be somewhat like that, you know. People with guns. Anyway, coming back to this. Uh, he says, who delighted in you? Well, God did delight in Solomon, and this was public knowledge. Second Kings, Adonijah didn't think it so, but uh, for Second Kings 12, this is going back, uh, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. So she bore a son and called his name Solomon. Now Yahweh loved him. And then the prophet comes, Nathan comes, and Yahweh's given him a nickname, that the lovable one. So Solomon was loved, and that's going to factor into his judgment, I think. Uh, I think I think you'll see Solomon in heaven. Uh, you know, the legal is like, no, 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 no you won't. <laughs> they talk like that, don't they? Don't the people you don't like talk in some, and I voice like this, or like that. There's one or the other, but there's nothing normal about people you don't like. <laughs> and, of course, they're not capable of disliking you. Therefore, because Yahweh loves you, therefore he has made you king to do justice and righteousness. Now, justice and righteousness, those are the dominant themes in Proverbs. I mean, when you get to the Proverbs, now, not only, other books too, but that... Proverbs is one of the leading books that stresses those themes. Verse 10, Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such an abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. There's something humorous about that. Now, I mean, they were impressed with her spicy gifts, obviously. And if you're into spices, you would have loved this. 
you know, it's like, you know, someone giving a cow to someone who's <laughs> lactose intolerant. <laughs> Not a good idea. But, but so, you know, you know, I've got a gluten problem. Well, you've just inherited a wheat farm. <laughs> so you've got to make some corrections. So, anyway, uh, here she brings all these spices she doesn't come empty-handed. She's got class. She said, look, you don't just show up. And maybe I don't believe all the hype about Solomon, but I'm not going there empty-handed either. You're not putting that one on me. Uh, so she, she's prepared, and she comes with about four and a half tons. I don't know how many camels that he uh, calculates to. But gold is the most mentioned element in the Bible, over 500 times, more than any other uh, metal. Uh, maybe she's paying tribute Chapter 4 says Solomon's kingdom went to the Euphrates and, to, 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 and down to South Egypt. Could have, he doesn't give us the eastern borders. Uh, she could be paying tribute. Hiram gave the identical amount <clears throat> in chapter 9, and maybe that was part. We don't have enough information. Anyway, she leaves uh, the spices there, and they are impressed by that. We'll come he, Now, Solomon's going to also import a lot of almug wood, and it will be repeated, you know, there's never again been so much wood like this. And so that it was the, the, the golden age of Israel. And the writer looks back with nostalgia. He says, man, to have been there then. Verse 11, also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophrah, uh, not Oprah. <laughs> I didn't say that. Brought these great quantities of alamug wood and precious stones from Ophir. Verse 12, And the king made steps of alamug wood for the house of the Lord, it's Yahweh, and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such alamug wood, nor has the king been seen, uh, nor, nor has like been seen to this day. Why somebody would name their boy Al Mugwood, I don't know. <laughs> oh, the phonetics. Um, <clears throat> Hiram and Solomon developed this partnership. It seemed to be a very profitable partnership for both of them. We are not sure what kind of wood Al Mug is. It's uh, understood as a luxury item. And so they import it. Now, Solomon is import, going to import horses, too, to, so he can export them. Uh, he's, in, he's into making a profit, and he may be doing that with some of this wood. Anyway, uh, vanity. Vanity dominates the book of Ecclesiastes. And it sort of takes the delight out of worldly riches, does it not? Here's the richest man that's ever been, the smartest guy ever at that point, Christ, of course, comes later. And yet, with all of that success, he writes Ecclesiastes. This is all just a waste. That's what vanity means. I wish the translators wouldn't use the word vanity. I think of a cabinet every time I come across it. You don't have a cabinet. Anyway, it's, it's, I'm serious. The word would have been better. It's, it's nothing. It's all just nothing. It's just a frustration in that tone. It, it is, um, and it's appropriately applied. So um, that is an interesting thing, that the man with so much wealth would write the Ecclesiastes. 
God is, you know, if, you're, if a poor guy wrote Ecclesiastes, you'd say, well, I get it. He didn't have anything. Of course he was bitter. But, but here's, it, the author had everything. And he's still saying it just isn't satisfying. Verse 13. Now King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Now there are those, you know, Haile Selassie was a king of Ethiopia and he said that he was a descendant of Solomon because this verse means that when she was given all that she desired, it was a child. That's a stretch. I mean, I'd hate to go to somebody's house and, and, you know, he gave me everything I wanted and I come back with a baby. I mean, that would just not be right. So, and let's say lifetime supply of Pampers, it would make it, you know, doable. Anyhow, uh, I, whenever I talk about babies, I always feel that the women are glaring at me. Watch it, Buster. This is our field and you don't, no, you guys don't do that. Anyway, uh, here, King Solomon, she gives her, he, he just, he, he's, she's smitten. She's so impressed by him. Love does enter into this, I, you know, at least we don't really see it come up. But she certainly is taken by everything. She's the queen in the candy store. And here she has on her shopping spree. Um, now, King Solomon gave Queen of Sheba all she desired. I'll take two of those and one of those and, and this over here. But she has class about the whole thing. And so she departs, um, enriched from her visit by the gifts that Solomon gave her. She gets back to uh, Sheba, and they say, how was your trip? Made out like a bandit. Uh, But did she come away with God? You you just can't get away from it. Jesus could be telling a parable, and you're into the parable, and at the end, he's going to get you to convict you or exhort, encourage. And the Bible does that as it is here. And if you just look at her and say, well, she just made out like a bandit. Did she? Did she come back with anything concerning the true God? Verse 14, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. (gasps) Verse 15, besides that, from traveling merchants, from income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia... And from the governors of the country. So the income of traders from all the kings of Arabia. Well, Arabia is that land to the, to the east of, of Israel, which would reach to Yemen, where she likely, again, that um, paid 120 talents of gold as tribute. These are his, some of his sources of income. Uh, duty, which is uh, tax on imports. The days of peace and prosperity. For, for Israel and, and the region. And Israel was the world power at this time. Uh, the Assyrians were not yet uh, this great force. You know, many commentators will tell you that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, the Assyrian territory, because they were so cruel. Well, they had not evolved to that cruelty yet. No, Jonah just didn't like them. <laughs> you know, like, he just didn't like Gentiles. Didn't want to share God with them. Which is the story of the point of Jonah's story is what does it profit a man? You're a prophet, two different uses of the same phonetically sounding word. Uh, you're, you are my man with my message. I want to reach the Ninevites. And he did not want to do it. And that is the story this evening. What is the prophet if 
we don't give them Jesus. If you get somebody to come to a church and you impress them with whatever, but they don't get Jesus. They're not convicted of sin. They're not invited to the throne. What happens if you, your neighbors know that you're a Christian? When you're on the subject, you don't bring it up. Conversion and sin. I mean, if they don't give you the opportunity, you can't force it. But if you, you have the opportunity, you, you've got to get to the point. <clears throat> we are uncomfortable, at least I am, with Solomon's blessings because of his approaching tolerance for idols. His appeasing. His appeasement of his wives. That's why he did those things. I just want to keep the peace. Same thing got Adam in trouble. Now, this number, the yearly income of 666 talents, 25 tons or 50,000 pounds of gold. If you add up Hiram's 120 talents, the 400 talents, 420 talents in chapter 9, brought by the navy to Solomon. If you add 120 talents from Sheba, you end up with 660 talents. I find no connection between the 666 talents with Revelation 13, 18. Now, I think this is important because if we get into the habit of stretching things to suit something else just without any fact, then we can enter into, uh, you know, poor Bible teaching. It has to be there. When we make our analogies, we hang it on something. It's not just this, you know, wandering opinion. (coughs) There's nothing in this to link Solomon's 666 talents with the Antichrist to come. At least I can't find it, and I don't know of any other commentator that can either. However, that number six, there's something there. That is an, uh, uh, in biblical numerology, a pronounced number. We find this pattern all over the Old Testament and in the, into the New. <clears throat> it is the number of man. Well, even in Revelation, it says, and his number shall be six, six, and six, the number of a man. Uh, he's not going to be a, a demon incarnate, uh, you know, a materialized demon. He's going to be a human being filled with Satan. That's Revelation. But the number six is a man. It's not always an evil number. The implication is a limited number because the number seven is perfection by the hand of God. And six can't get there. Six can't be seven. Six is forever six. So the number of completion of God's completion, of course, comes in heaven. You know, the seven days in a week and just the the number just shows up in, in this context frequently. Solomon's 666 talents represents man's ultimate weakness. He's just completely limited. He is just a man. And unable to truly fulfill the eternal wealth from God. And so that uh, is a fair connection. But again, I I don't see a direct one to Revelation. Now, I'm sure you you might have your theories. And uh, that's, that's fine. Well, if they disagree with me, it's not, but aren't we, aren't we like that? We get so... No, I mean, I'm kidding about that, but I can remember when I first started reading commentators and studying the Bible, I would get so upset with a commentator who didn't agree with the last commentator who I liked. And I had to grow out of that. Because I would stop. I'm not reading him anymore. Why? I was dumb. The guy's great. So there's a point you don't agree on. He's not being blasphemous or anything like that. 
Uh, and people, you know, they'll go to a church and they'll hear something that, you know, um, some cats are fat. <gasps> no, I'm not going back. All right. Solomon, here he is networking. I, this is an important part of all this. Here he is networking. And it helped the nation. He's bringing in all this, this prosperity. He is bringing in many influential visitors. Did it help the king and the people draw near to God? Or did it contribute? This influx of unbelievers, these foreign merchants, did it contribute to false ideas of religion and worship and morality and God? Uh, yeah. It, it did. Eventually, Solomon himself is going to be influenced by his foreign wives and succumb to their enough of their idolatry. Anyway, the coming of Sheba to see the glory of Israel is proof that it was possible to draw the people in. Um, <clears throat> Solomon is Solomon, and the church is the church. First Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Why didn't Solomon know that? He did know that. That's not unique to the New Testament. It's not unique to Christianity. First, you, Solomon, were right. Pride goes before the fall. First Timothy 3, moreover, speaking of pastors, and, you know, Paul is saying to Timothy, when you're going to raise up pastors in the church, not a novice. You can't have a rookie step in there. Satan's just going to wipe the floor with him. And then the next verse, he says, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So Satan has his snares out. He has traps, just like a bird catcher has these snares out ready and other trappers. So Satan is a trapper. Verse 16, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. These were decorative. They were very large shields. Uh, 15 pounds each, you couldn't carry that on the battle. Gold is not a very strong metal, very heavy. Uh, why did he need, he's going to have another 200 in verse 17, 500 shields. Over 2,500 pounds of, of gold went into these, verse 17. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minus of, uh, minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Uh, where the seamen were, I guess. Anyway, that's the forest. We won't go there. Uh, these are smaller shields, and the Hebrew word used is just that. So he's got these large shields and these small ones made out of gold, very decorative. Of course, she would see these things. This guy's got money to burn. Uh, verse 18. <clears throat> Moreover, the king made great a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Uh, I think this is just extravagance. Some of the commentators will say, well, it was really wood inlaid with ivory. What's the difference? It's still, to me, I don't see, I don't know. I've never seen ivory overlaid with gold. Is there some benefit to doing this? Ivory's pretty by itself. Uh, and so is gold. Well, the extravagance. Amos, the prophet, he criticized him. He was a prophet to the north. He was from Tekoa, which was in Judah, but he's a prophet up north. In fact, at one point, he said, you need to get out of here. We don't want you around us anymore. But he says he attacked these extravagant rulers who were just uh, abusive to the poor and living luxuriously. He writes in Amos 6, who lie on beds of ivy, ivory and, uh, and stretch out on your couches. And he's just, uh, he's, 
attacking their, their waste. Verse nine, uh, 19, the throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. <clears throat> well, not real lions. These are, of course, <laughs> carvings. Uh, but the six, again, there's that number. Six steps for a man. That's as far as he goes as a man. Verse 20, 12 lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. Well, the writer had no knowledge of anybody. When we get further into the wicked kings, we'll find them importing, one of them importing an altar. He goes up to Damascus. I love this. I must have one. And just uh, highlights the blasphemy that was rampant in Israel. So here in verse 20, um, archaeologists from that time have discovered other uh, impressive thrones. It's, so I, I don't know what the distinction is, but it must have been something significant. Verse 21, uh, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king, verse 22, had merchant ships at sea with a fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys, verse 23. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. So you can't really capture the wealth with just these words, except to just, you know, say, uh, it says he just outshined them all. And again, had wealth been so great... Ecclesiastes would be a cheery book, would it not? It's not a cheery book. It's not depressing. I don't find it depressing. I do find it real. I mean, just if I don't know, you know, I don't know. At fourteen years old, reading Ecclesiastes, it would register, unless you had a hard upbringing. Uh, but as you get older, you read Ecclesiastes, you say, "Oh man, he's right." And I wish it weren't that way. What am I going to do now? I'm going, to kind of, I'm going to go read the Gospels and cheer up. <clears throat> Verse 24. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Um, yeah. Um, what do you, let's, let's take a... They did. So, so here, he was a lecturer, Solomon. People would come and he would have his regular sessions. And this is, I think, how we got Ecclesiastes. It is the, uh, he takes his notes and he just puts together this book. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9 says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Well, he did do that. What is the end result, Solomon? Did people come closer to God because of you? I think some did. I think they have, after his death and his writings, yes. Uh, Solomon was wise, but David was devout. And that is a, a good thing for us to remember. Verse 25, each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, at a set rate year by year. Oh, the perks of being a wise man. Uh, verse 26, and remember, greater than Solomon is Christ. Verse 26, and Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in chariot cities with the king at Jerusalem. So some of those chariot cities, as I mentioned, the ruins are there, the posts where they would hitch the animals to and the, 
cribs where they would put the the, the, the straw or whatever they were eating nuggets <laughs> anyway this is to his military to protect his wealth you, you just can't have any peace without some defense you cannot sit outside in the summertime without some defense spray or swatter they just won't leave you alone uh, especially those hummingbirds I hate them you're minding your business this is a giant buzz it's not a little one like a bee it's 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 <laughs> You think it's a gorilla or something coming out. If you're reading, you know, not if you see him coming. You say, oh, that's a hummingbird. Oh, look how nice. But if you're engrossed in reading something, and all of a sudden this thing is, you guys don't read. Verse 27. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as sycamore, which are in the lowlands. It speaks for itself. Verse 28, uh, also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt. Uh, Keva, the king's merchants, brought them from Keva at the current price. So Keva is in Cilicia, where Paul was from, by Tarsus, that region in Turkey. And so he's importing horses from Egypt and from Cilicia, and probably selling them. Uh, Verse 29, now a chariot was, now a chariot, well, let me pause there. Why would he be able to bring horses in and sell them? Well, because other people didn't have the shipping and just couldn't get them like he could get them. He was a dealer, and he could uh, make a profit that way. Verse 29, now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150, and thus... Through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So he's a very successful businessman. A chariot <clears throat> cost about 15 pounds of silver. A horse, about almost 4 pounds of silver. You'll need that uh, to know that. Uh, interesting enough, before, and I'm going to get into the Hittites are from Turkey, and they spread out. They migrated south and to various places very accomplished people, Solomon had Hittite women in his harem. And we'll get to that in the next chapter, like, again, not that important. Uh, Closing with this, earning money, of course, is not a sin. Amassing wealth and being wise, but loving money and living to acquire money enters into money as a root of all evil. So here's a quote. I don't know who it's from, so I'll put my name on it. It's good to have the things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things money can't buy. We agree with that, but we're going to forget it next week. If I ask you, what was that quote again? Who would remember? Let's pray. Our Father, indeed, uh, those things that last, that's what we are, uh, that's what we're concerned with, the eternal things. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, who... Who helps us with this? May it get us all home safely tonight. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.